Tension is running high in Nova Scotia as a conflict between commercial lobster fishers and indigenous, indigenous ones continues. But when will the violence end? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. Parliament held an emergency debate earlier this week following the vandalism and destruction of indigenous fishing boats, van, and traps. A lobster pound was also torched. At issue is a Mi'kmaq group's ability to start their own lobster fishery under 1999 Supreme Court ruling Mi'kmaq bands have the right to fish for a moderate livelihood. The court said those rights are limited to securing necessaries and do not extend to the open-ended accumulation of wealth. In terms of numbers, indigenous fishers have about 500 traps in all, a drop in the bucket compared to the thousands of commercial traps. While the Supreme Court ruled the treaty gave indigenous people the right to a moderate living, it left out the definition of moderate living, which is at the crux of the dispute. Dwight Newman is a law professor at the University of Saskatchewan who specializes in Indigenous rights, and he joins us now. And, and Dwight, the federal government has, has dropped the ball here as it has not negotiated with the McNaw, right? Yeah, I mean, there have been some uh, limited attempts at, uh, at trying to get towards a resolution, but in the span of uh, uh, now what's over 20 years, um, they haven't reached uh, any kind of a resolution on um, the the definition of this concept of moderate livelihood um, or how they're going to go about uh, regulating uh, an indigenous fishery. And so that's, uh, that is something where the federal government over the last two decades has dropped the ball. Is it just not a priority with the government or can that just be, you know, your, your, uh, your assumption of it? Because as you mentioned, it's been over 20 years to try and get a, get a negotiation here. Yeah, I mean, there are a few things that come into it, and I mean, there are some complexities to trying to carry out those kinds of negotiations. Um, so, I mean, we need to uh, to acknowledge those as well. And uh, there are some very different uh, starting points in terms of negotiations, um, uh, where uh, the government would interpret uh, the scope of the rights quite differently than the indigenous communities would. Um, and so they're not easy negotiations. At the same time, the 1999 decision, um, I think, was trying to set the stage for negotiations, but also said uh, that it was up to government to, to regulate. And um, they could have attempted negotiations and then still reached some kind of decision uh, rather than just leave things ambiguous. And I think that's the, the worst part of the situation uh, right now from a legal standpoint is that things had been left entirely ambiguous, and uh, now the Indigenous communities are, are trying to bring some clarity themselves. You, you mentioned the, the complexities in the issue. What, uh, which complexities are you talking about? Well, some of those include uh, that there would be dis- diff- different viewpoints on uh, just what a moderate livelihood amounts to, and the government would probably read that as smaller than um, or at a lesser level than some of the Indigenous communities would read that at. Um, one of the other complexities to it is just which First Nations in uh, Nova Scotia are covered by the uh, 1999 decision. Um, it, strictly speaking, it involves an interpretation of um, uh, certain treaties from 1760 and 1761, um, and there are some parallel provisions in a 1752 treaty, but 
um, between these different treaties. Um, they may or may not cover all of the First Nations in, uh, in Nova Scotia, and the government has taken the view uh, traditionally that they don't cover all of them, uh, whereas the First Nations would end up arguing that all of them are parties to the treaties. And so that becomes a source of complexity as well. Why would the Supreme Court leave such a, an open-ended decision? You know, it's, there's no real definition for moderate living. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the 1999 uh, decision, they actually uh, uh, faced some real challenges after they rendered the decision. And uh, if if one goes back in the history, there uh, this was in the, the eel fishery, but uh, there was an outburst of, uh, of violence uh, uh, going on after the first decision uh, a little earlier in 1999. Um, the Supreme Court of Canada was asked to do a, a rehearing in the case um, and they said they were not going to rehear the case, but they also issued some further uh, clarifications of the judgment um, in later 1999. So there are two judgments from 1999, uh, but they still left this term moderate livelihood undefined. And I think we have to read them as having tried to leave scope for negotiation uh, or discussion between governments and Indigenous communities. And uh, in retrospect, maybe that, now that looks like it was a bad mm-hmm. idea, but I think the Supreme Court of Canada thought it wasn't their place um, to prescribe the exact rules um, uh, applying to the fishery and that, the, that they would encourage negotiation by leaving that ambiguity. And as it's turned out, it doesn't seem to have worked out that way. Dwight Newman is joining us in the Unpublished Cafe, law professor at the University of Saskatchewan who specializes in Indigenous rights and law, and uh, he's uh, joining us on the cafe. So at this point, then, is the only way we're going to get to a definition of moderate livelihood, moderate living, from negotiations between the government and and the Mi'kmaq? Well, at this point, that would probably be most constructive if there were negotiations. Um, the uh, the decision from 1999 probably leaves legal authority in the government to uh, to regulate and define that um, if the government were to pursue that route. Um, that's probably uh, less acceptable today than it would have been in 1999, uh, just at a sort of a legitimacy level and what First Nations uh, would accept. Um, and they would expect to, to be part of negotiations on it today. And... Uh, uh, so I, I think there are going to have to be negotiations in some form, um, and there's obviously a tense uh, situation in the in the meantime, and uh, a very concerning situation in terms of the the violence that has occurred, uh, which obviously is uh, simply not acceptable. Uh, but uh, uh, there's going to need to be some real leadership from Ottawa uh, to try to to move things towards a, a resolution. Why is there such a pushback from commercial fishers when the indigenous number of traps is fairly insignificant to what they have? Uh, well, uh, there would be people that uh, that might be able to speak better to all of the factors going on in the region. Um, but from my understanding, uh, certainly uh, uh, commercial fishers have uh, faced some challenges over the years as well. Um, and uh, there have been threats to uh, well, and some of the fisheries in uh, in the Atlantic Canada have been shut down at times. Um, so uh, they feel pressures as well. 
Um, uh, I can't speak to the exact situation of this particular fishery, uh, but certainly there would be uh, a perspective uh, in uh, amongst some of those fishers that uh, uh, there are risks to the fishery if uh, if other fishing starts out in an unregulated way, and uh, there's obviously not a high level of trust in terms of how an indigenous fishery would play out, and so there there needs to be some real trust building, uh, and uh, and again some leadership from Ottawa to bring people together. From your perspective, how has the RCMP handled the situation? Well, I mean, uh, people can say various things uh, on that, uh, and no doubt will. Um, the RCMP operates as a, as a very professional police force, and uh, that doesn't mean that nobody can ever critique something about it. Um, they've, uh, they've made some controversial decisions in terms of um, not always stepping in as, as quickly as some would have urged them to, um, but they're making some complex operational decisions there. Um, I think it is important uh, for the RCMP to be enforcing the rule of law, uh, but they, uh, they need to do that um, in every situation in careful ways um, uh, where, there, uh, where there are um, uh, large-scale problems that, uh, that they could otherwise generate through their enforcement measures. So uh, they face a very uh, challenging task, and I wouldn't be one to engage in detailed second-guessing of them, um, but of course... Uh, we do hope that uh, that the rule of law can be uh, restored um, uh, for everybody. And uh, part of that rule of law is, of course, um, Indigenous fishing rights and that Indigenous people um, not face violence. Um, but uh, the rule of law involves a lot uh, that, the, that they need to be protecting. Dwight, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me and uh, for your interest in the story. Dwight Newman is a law professor at the University of Saskatchewan who specializes in Indigenous rights and law. Now, the man in the middle of the dispute is Chief Mike Sack. He is chief of the Sabaganagati Band in Nova Scotia, and he joins us now. And, Chief, first off, I want to thank you for joining us. And Can you tell me when did the band decide it was going to go into the lobster fishery? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um we haven't really been out of the fishery. Our people have always been doing it, but it's, it's the last, uh, I don't know. I remember I fished back in 1999 and it's always been a thing that our people have done. So for the last four or five years, we've been really working hard on uh, our management plan for our own water livelihood fishery. So it's been out to the people. It's been with lawyers. It's uh, out to our community a member, number of times. And it just, it took a while, but it just, it was ready to go, so we, we made that push forward. So I guess the, the the band had planned on getting into it. It was just a matter of, you know, lining everything up, dotting the I's, and crossing the T's, that kind of thing? Yeah, we just wanted to make sure that we had, um, you know, all of our bases covered and, and not left exposed uh, or vulnerable. So um, we took our time with it, and uh, but there's also a lot of pressure on the community. The community wanted us to back them up and be there with them, and uh, the only way we could do so was this way. So that's what took the time. Is is this issue dividing the community? Our community, no, we're, uh, we're strong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, it's brought us together. It's, um, you know, it, there's a lot of emotions. People get mad at times, but that's, you know, out of frustration and stress for what they're going through there. But overall, our community spirit is strong. Um, you know, uh, the Mi'kmaq it's everywhere right now. So mm-hmm. 
I think we're feeling extremely proud. You know when I when I look at this whole situation, and you know, you folks have said you've been you've, you've been fishing for the last few years anyway. I, I, I wonder why now it just exploded uh, in in Nova Scotia. I think it's because an actual plan is put in place. Uh, you know, it became something that's real for the commercial people in the area. Our people have been there fishing, but it's um, not under our own fisheries that we're establishing. So we're not looking to to be incorporated into their fishery, we're establishing our own here. And I think that's where the, they just took offense to that, and um, that's what led us to what's going on now. Now, in terms of uh, your, your fishery, you guys follow the federal regulations then? We, uh, we incorporated, you know, some rules and regulations out of the, of the commercial industry plan. But, you know, we made some changes for ourselves, and uh, we feel we have the best of both worlds, and, and we're happy with that. In terms of the RCMP, uh, there, there obviously is, is some uh, some big issues going on right now. Uh, how would you characterize the RCMP's response so far? Uh, it's been very, very late to the game. You know, they're, they're weeks behind, right? So um, now there's more officers in the area. That's great. But I, I think that the charges were laid uh, really put things to a halt. Um, so I'm grateful they have done that, you know. I want to see a lot more charges because there are so many people involved with committing these crimes. More people need to be held accountable. And, um, you know, if something big was to go off, I still think they're understaffed. But, you know, I'm hoping that nothing does happen. You know, at issue is obviously the definition of moderate livelihood. And uh, the Supreme Court obviously obviously wants the government and, and your communities to come to a, an agreement on that. From your perspective and your band's perspective, what is a moderate livelihood in terms of lobster fishing? So that's what we're working on. Our band is made up of, uh, you know, so many factors. The, uh, you know, the poverty. We have families with families inside of houses. Uh, we're short 400 homes. So we're really looking to boost our economy support our people and we have a phased approach to our plan which will help us determine what exactly a moderate livelihood would be for us um, but you know the commercial fisheries have been interfering with us actually doing that so it's kind of it's prolonging everything and um, you know we have a very modest plan for what we're going to do compared to what they're doing in, in terms of of the plan and uh, you know you look at the number of traps etc how would you compare the number that you have compared to the, the commercial fishers we're, uh, we're at like a 1% to 2% range of what we have for what they have. Mm-hmm. We issued 11 licenses with 50 traps each. That's 550. That same LFA, like Lobster Fishing Area 34, has like a 950-ish license there. And they all start off at 375, and they go up to 425. So, you know, they're at 400,000 traps. We're at 550. Now, has there been any more violence in the last day or so, or things are just no, tense? No, there's been no violence in the last few days. It's been um, it's been calm and nice, and I think everyone needs that. Now, obviously, negotiations have to happen with the federal government. What's the the, the status on that? Yeah, we're in the discussions. Um, we're hoping to get back together later today and uh, have something on paper for the weekend. Uh, we're not negotiating our, our treaty rights, but we're taking a lot of, um, you know, factors that they would like to see into the plan. 
in the perspective, and uh, we're having very good conversations. Mike, I, I want to thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Mike Sack is the chief of the Sabaganagany Band in Nova Scotia. We will be keeping a close eye on this dispute, and we'll be bringing you more coverage in the future. I want to thank Dwight Newman and Chief Mike Sack for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. I want to thank you for listening. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.